The following podcast contains explicit language. It's Wednesday, September 14th, 2016 from Slate. It's the gist. I'm Mike Pesca. The Paralympics are in their seventh day. Did you know that? No, you didn't know that unless you specifically sought it out. American corporations, they'll put a guy in a wheelchair in one of their commercials, but NBC just doesn't air this stuff in any meaningful way except on deep cable. And they could. And I think they should. The, the games themselves are compelling, not because, oh, I feel bad for the athletes or it's the right thing to do. It's just interesting to watch a lot of these sports on Hang Up and Listen. We talk to an exponent and a player of the sport of goalball, blind people playing a version of team handball and the strategy is pretty rich and they spin when they throw the ball and then the whole crowd has to be silent because the ball has a beep in it. Look, if watching races is compelling and it is, watching races among guys with no legs is extra compelling. I think NBC should put it on. Now, when we talked to our goalball guy, we asked him, well, what about that one word that hangs over the Paralympics? Inspiration. Inspirational. And he had a good answer for this. Who am I to say what's inspirational to someone else? But I think we misuse this word. If you get a feeling from watching something, you can say, I feel inspired, but it will probably turn out that you weren't actually inspired because inspired is part of the phrase inspired to do something. And if you don't do anything with that feeling, then I think retroactively, you weren't actually inspired. You were faux inspired. It was a false positive. It presented as motivation, turned out to be a passing fancy, like a hot flash. I was thinking a lot about inspiration as I was putting this show together for reasons that would become apparent. And I think I think songs are the problem. Think about all the songs we think of as inspiring, like, I believe I can fly. No, you can't. You just can't. And I decided long ago never to walk in anyone's shadow. Can you imagine living out this philosophy in real life? What the hell is wrong with you? It's a side. What are you doing? It's just a regular sidewalk. It's not crowded. Oh, no, no. I decided long ago never to walk in anyone's shadow. That's crazy. How do you get anywhere? How does that show fortitude? It doesn't mean you're not a follower. It just means you're not a follower of people on sunny days outdoors. It makes no sense. It's extremely inefficient. Crazy, crazy talk. On the show today in the spiel, well, I will touch on some of those same things with some of the same lyrics. But first, Maria Konnikova is here to answer a question regarding bullshit and handedness. And before that, the other day I aired a supposition on this program. I played the part of a voter who actually liked them both. Trump, Clinton, I like them both. My supposition was this guy doesn't really exist in nature. It turns out he does, and he's here, a listener who actually likes them both. <laughs> Hey, all you true crime fans, this is Mike Ferguson. And this is Mike Morf. And we'd like to invite you to listen to our podcast, Criminology. Launched in 2017, we've covered a variety of strange cases from murders to missing persons. Some of the cases are ones you may not have heard of. Other cases we cover are some of the most historic in true crime. There are 200 episodes of Criminology available to binge on right now. And new episodes come out every Saturday night. Subscribe to Criminology today, wherever you listen to your podcast. The other day on The Gist, a popular podcast that I recommend you listen to, I wondered if in all of America, is there the person that a reporter can find and ask their opinions on the election? The person will say, I like them both. They're both good, really good traits. I was 
making sport of such a notion. It seems, even though we're in a nation of 320 million people, it seems impossible. Some statistics back me up on this. There was a survey from the firm PPP, and it indicated that 1% of participants who preferred Trump also have a favorable view of Clinton and vice versa, but the margin of error on that survey was over 2%. But then it happened. We found a man who likes them both. Joining me now is Dan Nowak of Milwaukee, Wisconsin. He emailed us. He said, I like them both. Amazing. Hello, Dan. Hey, Mike. How's it going? Good. And what was your point in that email? What did you, what did you write in to tell us? Well, uh, you know what I'm sick of is, uh, you know, all the gridlock in Washington. And actually, I think uh, Hillary Clinton and Trump are both the antidote to it. They're both deal makers. I think uh, they both will flip-flop uh, just to get a deal done. And uh, honestly, I think uh, flip-flopping gets a, gets a bad rap. So I do, too. I agree with you there. And I agree with you that Trump actually will do something to the gridlock. I'm not sure what it is. But I think most, even most Hillary backers would say, all right, she's not the antidote to gridlock. Why do you think she is? I think she'll make some pragmatic decisions. You know, she's making a stance right now about TPP. But I think it's hard to believe in six months from now. Um, she can't uh, get with Republicans and uh, work out a trade deal. This is what a pollster would say to you. Is your general opinion of Donald Trump more favorable or unfavorable? I'd say it's favorable. Is your general opinion of Hillary Clinton more favorable or unfavorable? Definitely very fa- favorable. Okay, so by how you answered that, I'm taking it you're more of a Hillary backer? Uh, yeah, yeah. I am. And, but you don't think Trump would be the disaster that even she paints him as? Uh, No, I don't. Well, what about the issues of temperament and access to the nuclear codes? And if you listen to this show, we add on Corey Shockey, who's one of 50 foreign policy hands who worked in Republican administrations, who said, I'm not going to back him. In fact, it's very hard to find someone with Republican foreign policy or economic experience who says he's good. Uh, Do you just discount that? I don't discount it at all. But what I would say to them is we've had a lot of war for the last 15 years, and I think uh, Trump is too cheap to want to even go through another war, and he's going to be a cheap ass and try and scave out on spending as much as possible. So he'll, he'll see the bill of sending in 100,000 troops into Syria, and he's going to balk. I think that's a good thing. His positive stance towards Russia is a good thing. I don't think uh, they should be our long-term enemy. We've been enemies with them for 60 years. I think it's uh, a good time. I've been to Russia. It's a beautiful place wonderful people. Uh, they're not our enemies. With the Hillary Clinton presidency, the, she will still be kind of a more anti-Russian stance, and I'd like to see that changed. Interesting. And now the latest thing is this baskets full of deplorables comment that Hillary made. Uh, how'd you hear that comment, and do you think she's insulting someone like you? No, I don't think she's. I think it's just part of the campaign. I don't think she, she feels like, uh, you know, 40% of the electorate is just... Uh, stupid and dumb. Give me a politician, current or historic, not too far in history, during your lifetime, who you thought was really great. I think Al Gore was an underrated uh, figure. Um, he really could have made uh, a big hay in the 2000 election, and, um, but I think he did a good job of kind of stepping aside and you know, bringing the country together and not uh, making a big, uh, big mistake, and I think he's gone on since then to do good things. Interesting answer. Give me a politician during your lifetime who you think was really, really was deplorable. That's a good question. I, I would probably say Dick Cheney. I, I just, he just seems like a nefarious guy to me with uh, not the right motives. And tell me a little bit about yourself. What do you do? What's your education level? How do you usually vote? Are you registered in a party? I'm in sales. I have an MBA. 
I think uh, probably, I'm going to be voting for Hillary because uh, I do think climate change is one of the number one issues that our government can take a crack at, and, um, and I usually I usually vote Democrat. Yeah. What about on economic issues? Which of these candidates do you think is going to be better? Um, I think Clinton because I think Trump's tax cuts are kind of absurd. You know, I know you're a just listener. Do you think I've been unfair in your opinion to Donald Trump? You're definitely um, hyperbolic and bombastic, I think, at times. But uh, that is true. Um, and I mean, you guys have a whole podcast dedicated towards pretty much an anti-Trump uh, message with the uh, Trump cast. Uh, pretty much, yes, yep. <laughs> that is true. So, <laughs> even some of the things that he says, he should sometimes get the benefit of the doubt. So. Dan Nowak is a GIST listener, super listener, he says. He was super sporting to come on this show, and he likes them both. All right. Yep. Thanks, Mike. On the one hand, creativity is sort of, it could come from anywhere. We're just lucky when we're hit with a creative thought. On the other hand, there's people say creativity takes hard work. The songwriter who every day gets up at seven and dedicates his time to his craft. On the other hand, well, let's stop right there because there are some who say that handedness actually dictates creativity and other traits too, that left-handed people think like this and right-handed people think like that. I wonder if that's true. In fact, I wonder if that's bullshit. Joining me now is Maria Konnikova. She is the author of The Confidence Game, and she is going to play Is That Bullshit with us once more. Hello, Maria. Hello, Mike. All right. So handedness, here's what I know about handedness. Right-handedness is really prevalent. Um, It probably is not as prevalent as it once was, time was, and even in some cultures today. If a child showed that they were left-handed, they'd tie that child's arm to his side and he'd have to be use his right. But I also think I understand, you tell me if I'm wrong, that handedness is controlled by the opposite side of the brain and we know some stuff, but tell me if I'm wrong, about brain function. So maybe it's true that left-handed people who are controlled by the right brain are also right-brained, which is maybe mathematical. Have I gotten this 95% wrong or 97? Um, uh, Somewhere in between. (laughs) Yeah, okay. So let's say 96. What's going on? People have been asking about handedness for centuries. Mm -hmm. Um, So there was this guy. I'm actually going to show you a picture of him because he's kind of awesome. Oh, yeah. He's bearded. He looks like Sigmund Freud's bushier brother. He does. He does. Um, His name is Cesare Lombroso. Oh. Yeah. An Italian criminologist. Yeah, I could have guessed that. Um, Yeah. (laughs) In the 1800s. And he became fascinated by violent crimes and the brains of violent criminals. He got this brain donated to him of this really massive criminal. Mm. And so he looked at the brain and he came up with lots of theories of criminality. And the reason we're talking about this is one of those things concerned handedness. He decided that handedness actually predicted criminality. So guess guess who is more likely to become kind of this violent psychopathic killer? Well, insofar as we don't live in a society with 90% violent psychopaths, I would guess the left-handed person. Exactly. Left-handed also uh, the etymological roots of sinister. Sinister, yes. exactly. So you see, so for a very- Right-handed Dexter. Exactly. I know this from flag terminology. Yep. Left-handedness has traditionally been associated with really bad stuff, yeah. sinister stuff. Some societies see it as kind of a mark of the devil, that you're evil. So he was kind of the origin of the 
scientific thinking that left-handedness might not be so good. And that actually persisted for quite some time. So there was a theory that left-handed people were more likely to be criminals. There was then a theory in the 50s and 60s, so now we're getting closer to modern times, that they didn't live as long. Now, in the 90s... Good for the rest of us, all these criminals dying early. (laughs) Exactly. So in the 90s, that data set, because they actually at this point are trying to do studies that involves something more than cutting open someone's brain and peering at it and trying to trying to see. Seems like a fine and well-designed study. Yes, in the 1800s, especially in the 90s, that whole data set got kind of torn apart because it turns out that what you and I have just been talking about matters, which is that people are retrained to use their right hand. So the data is flawed because a lot of these right-handed people are actually left-handed. Natural left-handed. And so you're not you're not actually drawing any accurate conclusions. Because people have been trained and the people who are left-handed tend to be younger at this point, like in the 80, late 80s or 90s. That had 90s, gone out of fashion, the retraining. People are Got starting it. to let them. Yes. Um, and so you end up getting this huge skew. Yes. Where where it's a generational skew and it has nothing to do with longevity. Then in the 90s, we get pendulum shift to the totally opposite side. Maybe it's amazing to be left-handed. Mm. There aren't that many of them. So maybe this means wonderful things. And all of a sudden, we get these theories that left-handed people are smarter, ah. that left-handed people are more creative. Before, you had people like Cesare doing all of these things like violent criminals. Let's look at them. They're all left-handed. Now you've got people saying, let's look at the artists. Let's look at the musicians. Let's look at the writers. Oh my God, left-handed people overrepresented. It has to be. It's just classic uh, human nature. Whatever was unfashionable has to become fashionable. <laughs> Left-handedness is just the mom gene of yeah, that era. Yeah. yeah. So the prevailing thinking is still that there are actually some advantages to being left-handed. So which takes us to the 2000s and the 2010s, right? Is that what we're in right now? Yeah. yeah. The audies s- and the, uh, the Dakotis. All right. Excellent. Yeah. I'll let you say that. So, so now we get to actual, you know, laboratory studies where people start trying to figure out, okay, what's going on? So there was one that came out pretty recently, a few years ago, which had lefties and righties complete these two visuospatial tasks. So you have to basically draw a line in one of the tasks connecting letters and numbers. So you go up the alphabet and up in numbers, but you have to alternate. So you'd go like A, 1, B, 2, Mm -hmm. Um, but it won't actually be A and B. You just have to look in the circle, which one is next. And the left-handed people perform better. But it also turns out that, well, those tasks recruit the right sides of the brain a little bit more. And so they're kind of stacked toward that advantage because there is something to to the fact that, you know, our hemispheres, we're not left-brained and right-brained. I mean, that's BS. But, but, but our hemispheres are different. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So you do you do have hemispheric differences and we do have connectivity differences. Yeah. And the and the left is the language processing right. and the right is the math processing. So those might be a little bit stacked towards a left-handed advantage. We're showing that they're better at that. Then there are some creativity tasks, and you start seeing that left people tend to be very good at divergent thinking. So Mm -hmm. that's when you go from one idea to lots of ideas, Um, and they tend to be able to come up with more ideas, more alternative uses for an object, those types of things. And so people are thinking, huh, maybe there's something to this. Left-handedness might actually be better. But then we get another shift because 
yes, left-handed people might be better and more creative at some of these things, but why? Is it because left-handedness confers that? or because we live in a right-handed world and the left-handed people have for their entire lives been forced to deal with it and try to find creative solutions and figure out how do I hack it in this world that is really not designed for me. Using the special scissors and whatnot. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. Those shame-producing special scissors. So, So they've been exerting more effort and actually looking at more alternatives all the time. They've trained themselves. Life trains them to have to be creative because the world's not designed for them. We are. We live in a world with predominantly right-handed people. When you do brain scans now, you see that um, left-handed brains tend to develop greater connectivity hmm. between the hemispheres because they have to develop both hands because they still have to kind of develop their right hand a little bit. I don't know. Maybe Lombroso was right. We live in a right-handed <laughs> world, so our reaction is we either rebel against it in a good way, which is to be creative, or in a bad way, which yeah. is to become criminals. It's all the reaction <laughs> to the right-handed oppressiveness of the world. Yeah, yeah. We're yeah. we're in a right-handed dictatorship. Exactly. And so you do see- a dex- So you see more corpus callosum connections in left-handed people quite often, and that might be because um, they've they've had to overcome this. Corpus callosum being the uh, connective tissue between yes, the hemispheres. Yes, as as frequent listeners of the yes, of the I show would know. I love the corpus callosum. I love the experiments <laughs> with, with with epileptics. It, yeah. uh, cut your co- corpus callosum. Yeah. I'll never be happier than that. They don't do it anymore, right? Uh no, no, oh, no, they don't. And then this other area of research has come up, which says, well, maybe it's actually not whether you're right or left-handed but how strongly handed you are. So some people are more strongly handed than others. Yeah, millennials least strongly handed of all new studies (laughs) indicate. And that might be the thing that matters. And if you're really strongly handed, that might have more implications than if you're someone who's a little bit more ambidextrous. And a lot of left-handed people end up a little more ambidextrous. Well, what about ambidextrous people? Are they uncreative, extra creative you know, we have not had a study that has pitted ambidextrous people with left and right because most people aren't ambidextrous. People train themselves to be yeah. ambidextrous, but that's kind of more like the training. And stuff. people aren't as ambidextrous on all tasks. So they'll right. say, I swing a baseball bat right, I play hockey yeah, or whatever. Exactly. Left. And yeah. most and most people really are left or right handed. Mm-hmm. And that's that's the strong handedness. Are you right handed or left handed? I'm right handed, but when I snowboard, I'm a goofy. Really? You're a goofy footer. A a goofy goofy footer. We got a goofy footer in our midst. Interesting. I thought maybe you'd be a goofy footer. (laughs) She's a goofy footer. All right. So right-handed or perhaps right-footedness or left-footedness correlating to creativity. Is that bullshit? We don't really know. There are some suggestions that there are some benefits to being left-handed. There are also lots of drawbacks. But ultimately, we do not know if that's a result of the handedness itself or merely adaptation to the world. So if suddenly the most of the world were a left-handed world, um, we might start seeing advantages for right-handed people because they've had to adapt to living among lefties. And I'll ask you another one. I'm just going to yeah. launch this on you. I know you weren't prepared, but this is another one of Lombroso's initial ideas. Rapists tend to be juggiered. Is that bullshit? No, that's actually completely... <sighs> 
Really? Spot on. Interesting. Yeah, yeah, huh. jug ears. Huh. Um, may I ask, what are jug ears? <laughs> you know, big ears that protrude oh. from the head. Oh. He actually said that. He that had was one he of had the things some, he, he decided. Some, this guy was very well respected yeah, yeah. back in his day. Yeah. <laughs> Maria Konnikova plays Is That Bullshit With Us? She is the author of The Confidence Game. She's a goddamn goofy footer. That's what we found out today. Thanks a lot, Maria. Thanks, Mike. And now the spiel. Donald Trump talked to Dr. Oz about some of his health issues today. At this rate, I guess Donald Trump is going to share his financials with, I don't know, Shark Tank? Nah, too highfalutin. Probably Matthew Lesko. You remember Matthew Lesko? He was a late night infomercial guy who wore the question marks on his suit. I could show you how you could get the money from Uncle Sam to live the life you always dreamed of. So Trump was interviewed by Dr. Oz, who was once admonished by the Senate for peddling diet scams. And afterwards, Dr. Oz told NBC News this, quote, we very purposefully on the logo have Oz as the middle and the doctor is actually up in the little bar for a reason. I want folks to realize I'm a doctor and I'm coming into their lives to be supportive of them, but it's not a medical show. But Trump gave his medical information on the show. So the wait is over. Also, the weight is over the recommended level for a man of Trump's height. Trump is a six foot two inch man, though his charitable foundation did buy a six foot tall painting of Donald Trump for $20,000. It's the rare 36th, 37th of actual life scale painting. Trump weighs 267 pounds, according to headline in the New York Times and as reported on NBC, or 236 pounds, according to Politico and other sources. But you know how weight goes. Do you weigh yourself in the morning? It could depend on the scale. How many taco salads did you eat that day? Whatever his weight is, it's overweight or possibly, according to BMI, obese. So partisans pounced on this fact. I got to say, I do not care about Donald Trump's weight. While Donald Trump may or may not be a tub of goo, BMI is kind of a crock of shit. BMI has me at 26.4, and anything over 25 is overweight. Come on, I disagree. Other more accurate measures than BMI disagree. BMI is a crude number, and Trump is a crude man. And why mock his weight when you can mock so much else? Let's stick with his policies. Yesterday, Trump unveiled his child care proposal. We can provide six weeks of paid maternity leave to any mother with a newborn child whose employer does not provide the benefit. Now, a proposal has to answer three questions to be credible or to be able to win over a voter. One, what are the benefits? Two, what are the costs? And three, how does it compare to the opponent's proposal? Trump's proposal would be a lot better than what we have now. I mean, if the proposal were real and not just a part of Project Keep Getting Invited to Seder Dinner at Ivanka and Jared's. So the benefits would be good if it were a real proposal. As for the cost, it says it won't cost anything. We'll just use the savings when we root out unemployment insurance fraud. Wait, so you're going to tackle fraud? What about waste and abuse? It's always waste, fraud, and abuse. You're not even hitting your magical thinking talking points correctly. And then he said Hillary Clinton offered no such plan. Usually Trump is good for his word. and You don't even think to look into if what he's saying is accurate. But this time I did. Turns out he's totally inaccurate. Hillary has a much more detailed plan with a spelled out funding mechanism that allows for more leave for both moms and dads. And it has been on her website for months. 
But this doesn't mean that we shouldn't listen to what Trump has to say. So I started listening to what Trump had to say. I started listening to him talk about the children, and a feeling washed over me as I heard the caring side of Trump, Trump the father, the parent, the nurturer-in-chief. It's pro-family, it's pro-child, it's pro-worker. These are the people we have to take care of, and this is what I'm going to be outlining tonight. Maybe I've gotten Trump wrong. Maybe I thought that his was a belief system based on bullying, based on resentment, based on his belief in the righteousness of Trump. But maybe, just maybe, that's not what Trump believes. I believe the children are our future. Teach them well and let them lead the way. So we're getting rid of Common Core. We're taking Common Core. It's going to be gone. Show them all the beauty they possess inside. Well, not all models, but beautiful women. I tend to like beautiful women more than unattractive women. I don't know. Maybe that makes me bad. Join the club. Give them a sense of pride to make it easier. Promoting American pride and patriotism in America's schools. Very important. Let the children's I've studied this issue in great detail, I would say, actually, greater by far than anybody else. <laughs> Believe me. If I fail, if I succeed, at least I'll live as I believe. No matter what they take from me, they can't take away my dignity. You referred to my hands. If they're small, Something else must be small. I guarantee you there's no problem. I guarantee you. All right. Okay. And that is it for today's show. Just producer Mary Wilson believes in the left-handed compliment. Like she's always saying to other just producer Chris Berube, you have a lovely left hand. Is that your audio editing hand? It seems adept and replete with manual dexterity. Steve Lichtai, executive producer of Slate Podcast, decided long ago never to serve in any labor minister's shadow government. Andy Bowers, chief content officer of the Panoply Network, prefers beautiful podcasts to the ugly ones. And he thinks that serial, sadly, no longer a 10. The gist, my waste, fraud, and abuse is beer trail mix and cinnamon toast crunch. Oomperu, deperu, duperu, and thanks for listening.